In Stephen Covey's classic book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, habit number one is be proactive. And while this habit could be described many ways, I will say here that it is about taking responsibility for shaping your own life and destiny. I work with individuals and businesses all over the world, and it seems like every week I get into conversations with people about how tough things are in their industry, in their business, in their life. And certainly I am faced with my own daily challenges, things that are hampering my growth or happiness and also are largely out of my control. And there is perhaps nothing more frustrating than a situation where your level of control is small, but the impact of not having control is potentially large. And we find ourselves in these situations all the time, in all areas of our lives. Perhaps there's a policy change within your company or industry and you have to adapt. Budgets get cut, funding goes away, projects get canceled, and your role is the collateral damage. Something happens with your health or the health of a loved one, and certain elements are unchangeable. The technology you have to work with day after day is inadequate or inferior, and yet there is no change in sight. Within habit number one, be proactive, Stephen Covey talks about two circles, the circle of concern and the circle of influence. The circle of concern encompasses things that you have no control over. Common items in this infinite circle include the national economy, the market, laws, and about 7.125 billion other people. The circle of influence encompasses things that you can do something about, and in some cases, you can even control. Imagine being in the middle of the ocean in a small boat when a storm hits. All you can do is figure out what small moves you can make to increase your chances of survival. What you cannot do is stop the rain, stop the wind, stop the waves, or go back and stop yourself from buying that ticket for that three-hour cruise in the first place. No. The only proactive thing you can do is focus on the actionable next steps that are within your power. Today we are going to talk about those small moves. How can you stay proactive in these situations where you have little influence? And how, by doing so, we learn how to increase our influence in seemingly impossible situations. From seven stranded castaways here on Gilligan's Welcome to Where There's Smoke, the show where we explore self-development through the lens of current events, sports, and pop culture. This week, we are helping you to direct your focus and take back control. We hear a powerful story from best-selling author and speaker J.J. Virgin, and we announce The 42 Project, where your creativity gets to blend with ours. My name is Brett Gaida, and I am your host. One of the things that I find when I work with you know, individuals, companies across the board, right? whether it's big organizations, small organizations, entrepreneurs, whatever, is that everybody has this feeling of, oh my God, just all this stuff that happens in my industry, in my business that I can't control. You know? And I, I understand that this stuff happens in other industries, but it's so much worse in my industry. Like, everyone kind of feels it, like, oh, I know. That was me, a few weeks ago, talking to a group of design professionals in Vancouver. One of the things I've found as I discuss this idea with people in all industries is that everyone does seem to think that it's so much worse in their world. And I don't say that to debunk any of them. 
I say that to stress what a large emotional role these things we can't control play in our worlds. And for you, it might have nothing to do with your industry or business. Perhaps it is more personal. Many people I know are greatly affected by the vaccine bill recently passed in California. And no matter where you are in the world, there are surely realities out of your control on a daily basis, which oppose your values, challenge your character, hamper your forward progress, or just frustrate you. Going back to this concept of the two circles introduced by Stephen Covey, while he initially wrote of two circles, the circle of concern and the circle of influence, over time it has been expanded into three to include a third circle in the very middle called the circle of control. And whether you look at this as its own circle or a sub-circle of influence, it is very clear what fits here. Can anyone tell me what the things you can control are? It's real easy. So. <laughs> Yourself. The only thing you can control is you, okay? Contrary to the fact that sometimes we think we can control anything else, the absolute only thing in that middle that we can control is us. How we show up, how we feel, how we react, how we proact, that's it, okay? Then you have things you can influence, that you can somehow have an effect on. Sometimes a great one, sometimes not, but you can influence it. And then there are things that you can neither control nor influence, often called the circle of concern. Though, eh, I don't like that name because I feel like then I need to be concerned about it, which I don't want to be. You know, we start getting concerned about everything in this infinite circle and we can turn into this guy. Large black coffee. Do you mean a venti? No, I mean a large. He means a venti. Yeah, the biggest one you got. Venti is large. No, venti is 20. Danny. Yeah. Large is large. In fact, tall is large, and grande is Spanish for large. Venti's the only one that doesn't mean large. It's also the only one that's Italian. Congratulations, you're stupid in three languages. So I simply call it things I can neither control nor influence. A bit more of a mouthful, but a lot less stressful. Within the circles of influence and control, so often people focus the conversation on attitude. After all, that's the one thing we can always control. So in these moments of stress, frustration, and concern, people say things like, well, you need to change your attitude, change your perspective, reframe, be grateful, etc. Now look, first off, anyone who's been listening to this podcast knows that I am a believer in the power of your mindset. Additionally, I'm an optimist, a cup half full kind of guy. And I tend to think that in most scenarios, we can persevere, find a solution. But I'm also a realist. And being positive doesn't always solve the problem. I must stay positive. Contrary to the coffee mug in the cubicle next to you, attitude isn't everything. And it can be a bit infuriating when a storm is barreling down on you and someone says, well, you just need to change your attitude. There are situations where that is simply not the answer. So when something is truly out of your control and an attitude adjustment isn't going to fix it, what do you do? I want you to imagine a pie chart. 99% is orange, and it is labeled things in the circle of concern, aka things you have no power to change. And there is a 1% black sliver labeled what you can influence. What a lot of people do is they focus on that circle of concern because it's so big, how can we talk about anything else? I mean, it's huge. 
Look at the size of that boy's head. Shh. I'm not kidding. It's like an orange on a toothpick. Shh. You're going to give the boy a compliment. It's the issue, the policy, the law, the diagnosis, the culture, the attitudes of other people. But this is where mistakes start to get made. One of the errors people make in addressing issues is they look at these issues through a lens of quantity instead of a lens of quality. They look at a problem and they think the biggest impact will be made through tackling the biggest piece. For example, when 99% is out of their control, they feel it does not make sense to focus on the 1% they can control. They think, well, I have to focus on this huge 99% slice. I mean, that's where the problems are. If I focus on the 1%, what difference will it really make? It seems futile. And so they focus on the 99%. The 99% that is out of their control. And they do this because it feels like even if they change just some of that 99%, they have solved a larger piece of the problem. However, that 99% is like a 20-foot high boulder, and from where they stand right now, no matter how hard they try, no matter what they do, that boulder will not move an inch. So it is actually focusing on the 99% that is futile. And when this is us in this process, we just get more frustrated exhausted, we drive ourselves crazy, and we often take it out on others. And it has a negative effect on us, our family, our business, and our life. Now let me just say here that I get sometimes you need to just vent, complain, get it out, and that's okay. But that process has its place, and ideally has a time limit. A few months ago, I was talking with Brendan Hufford, host of the Entrepreneurs in Coffee podcast, and this topic came up. I loved what he had to say. I don't really get upset by a lot, uh, at least not for more than five minutes. Um, I think things are frustrating, and I think things are worth being upset about and feeling that emotion. But after a couple minutes, you really need to ask yourself how you're using your energy. You need to kind of audit where you're spending your time. I love that phrase, audit where you are spending your time. Years ago, an executive in a training I was leading called this pub talk. I looked at him perplexed when he said it, and then he elaborated. Yeah, you know, after work, you go to the pub, you drink beers, and you bitch about all the things you can't change. And that seems somehow productive at the pub. You know, you leave the office, you go to a safe place, and you let it all out. But it's not actually productive to just complain if your intention is to actually change something. Remember, going back to that boulder, it ain't moving. You can push on it all you want, it's not going to change. But here's the cool thing. And this, this is a really cool thing. See, some people say, yeah, Brett, I get the 1% is the only thing I can influence. But even if I change it, I mean, what difference will it make? It's only 1%, right? No. Not right, because the thing that people don't get is it's like wrestling. Welcome everyone to the main event. Welcome to the largest television audience in World Wrestling Federation history. No, no, not, not that type of wrestling. I, I want you to think about Olympic wrestling, like the wrestling teams some of you had in college or in high school. Vision Quest, man. <laughs> 
So I used to use this analogy to explain this idea. Imagine you're climbing a mountain, and while you're going up and up and up, you are already trying to solve the problem you perceive on the other side of the mountain. The problem is, though, you can't actually see the problem from where you are. It's on the other side of the mountain. And so no amount of worrying or stress is going to change that. Only once you get to the top of the mountain, well, then you can see what's there, what's next. But then in a conversation with Brendan Hufford, he used a wrestling analogy. And as soon as I heard it, I thought, yes, that's it. Now, just to be clear, you don't have to be a wrestler to understand this analogy. Just stay with me. Think about things in your business or life that frustrate you and feel out of your control. And imagine life is like a wrestling match. And those things, those frustrations, they are the other wrestlers. And one of them is on top of you, pushing your face into the mat. You're pinned down, you can barely move, and you're seconds away from losing the match. And in those moments, almost nothing is in your control. However, if you panic and think, well, how do I get out from under him? You just get even more discouraged. You'll waste valuable time. The only thing you can do to have any chance of survival or success is to look for the one thing that you can influence in that moment. The one thing that you can change. In the example Brendan gave me, you look over and you see that with your hand, you can reach his hand, which is gripped on your wrist. When you're down by a lot and you're like, there's just no way that I really feel like I'm going to get out of this, like I'm going to win or I'm going to escape or whatever, you know, addressing the most important thing that you still have. All right, well, I can fight his hands from here. I don't like this grip he has. I'm going to fight this grip right now. Okay, I broke that grip. Now what's my next point to address? And just kind of climbing that ladder one rung at a time makes a huge difference. Because, I mean, think about it. When you're climbing a ladder, you can't. You, it's, it's very reckless and irresponsible to just jump from rung to rung and climb it like a madman. Just take it one rung at a time. And eventually, over time, you'll get to the top. And so with your hand, you work on loosening his grip. His grip being just 1% of the problem you are facing, but the only part of the problem that you can influence. As Brendan said, imagine you loosen that grip and then his arm moves. Well, now you have access to 5 to 7% of the problem. And you realize, oh, I, I think I can move my arm out now. And so you focus on that and you move your arm and you spin your body just a bit. And now you can see his leg and you think, I may be able to grab his leg and flip him. And all of a sudden, you now have access to 50% of the problem. You see, from where you stand, you may only be able to influence 1% of the problem. However, once you change that 1%, it actually changes the entire landscape of the situation. And then sometimes, from that new place, that new perspective, you can gain access or expand your circle of influence and a part of the problem that was previously in your circle of concern is now accessible. I want to share with you a powerful example of this idea in action. In a situation that would be beyond horrific for any of us. It comes out of a conversation I had a few weeks ago with a woman that is not only a huge force for good in the world, but also a big fan of where there's smoke. We initially connected when she tweeted about the show, and she's been a friend since then. I'll let her introduce herself. 
I'm JJ Virgin. I'm a celebrity nutrition and fitness expert. I'm an author and speaker. I've been really fortunate to do a bunch of TV. But what is most important to me is I am a mom of two teenage boys, 18 and 19. Here, JJ shares a story that I'd heard her share before. But as I heard it this time, I recognized all of the ways that she was living this principle we've been talking about. That in a situation where so much was out of her control or influence, she zoned in on what she could control, what she could influence. And without hyperbole, those decisions saved her son's life. Two and a half years ago, as my first book, I, The Virgin Diet was, it's actually my second book, but my first real big book was getting ready to come out. And I'm a, I'm a single mom. I am the sole financial support for my kids. My kids at the time were 15 and 16. And I'd invested everything into that book. I really wanted to get the word out about food intolerance. That's what The Virgin Diet's about. I knew that it could change lives. In fact, now it's changed over a million people's lives. So I'd invested everything into this. I'd done a public television special. And this book had to go, otherwise I was like, you know, going to be bankrupt. And a couple weeks before this is all going down, my son is out crossing the street at dusk and he's the victim of a hit and run. And this car, no one saw the car hit him. The estimate was somewhere like 35, 40 miles an hour. But he's basically left for dead in the street with a torn aorta, which kills 90% of the people on the scene, multiple brain bleeds, and 13 fractures. I mean, literally bones sticking out. I mean, I will never forget going into the hospital because the doctors were like, you just got to let him go. He's too far gone. And walking in to see him, and I mean, it makes me sick right now when I even, you know, it's like a visual I'll never get out of my head that no one should ever see where you've got, you see your son with the tube coming out of his brain and the machine monitoring the pressure on his brain. And then he's got a ventilator and then he's got tubes out everywhere, bones sticking out and, um, and them just saying, you know, this is just, he'll die somewhere in the next 24 hours. And I'm like, I, I think every parent's kind of going, well, not on my watch. <laughs> I was like going, you know, turns out, and that's one of the first lessons is ask the right questions. And my ex-husband said, well, what would you do if this was your kid? He goes, well, there is a doctor that could perform the surgery that he really needs, but it's not here. And, you know, said he'll he'd never make the, uh, survive the airlift. And even if he did, he wouldn't survive the surgery. And even if he survived the surgery, he'd probably be so brain dead, it wouldn't matter. And I'm looking at the doctor going, what difference does he make if he's definitely going to die here? Let's get him on the plane. You know, my, my other son was like, sounds like a 0.25% chance. And the doctor said, that's about right, son. We immediately overruled him, which I think is one of the first important things is ask the right questions. But we also had the energy and foresight to focus right then about what needed to happen. And, you know, I got in the car and drove three hours to that hospital. And um, that's when everything really started. He survived that first surgery. And I launched the virgin diet from the ICU. I'd sit in the ICU with him. He was in a coma for weeks, but I knew he could hear me. So I talked to him and he he said later, he said, you know, mom, the gray man came and asked me if I wanted to live or die. And I really did not want to live, but I kept hearing you because <laughs> I was like going, I always, you know, it's like, I've always been fascinated with those near death experiences. I've always thought they were so amazing. And I could feel him. That's all I can explain to you is I could 
feel him when he was in there. And I went, okay. And, you know, when your son's in a coma and coming out of this, you look for every small win, everything that you can to to celebrate. And I think in life, we don't celebrate enough of the little wins. And when you've got something like this going on, you hear him sigh, you see him flutter an eyelash, you, you, he squeezes your finger and, you know, that's like huge. And so I launched that book from there. And I'll tell you, you know, I look back now, he was in the hospital four and a half months. They actually set up a room for me to do interviews from there. I was running out periodically to go do shows. And I launched a New York Times bestselling book from there. And people ask how I did it. And because literally I would get there at 5.30 in the morning. I wanted to be there for grand rounds. I would go run the hospital stairs. I asked for help. I had friends like delivering I had so much kale. I was like, people were going, why, what, who are you? And I was like, well, I actually don't really like kale that much. So <laughs> it's like everybody stopped with the kale. But I had so much great food delivered to the hospital. Like nurses were eating, everybody's like fed. And then I was still doing my exercise. I was getting my sleep in because I knew that in order to pull this all off, I had to be super healthy, that I had no margin for error, that I had to be able to focus. I made multiple life and death decisions for this kid. I mean, my, my buddy, Dr. Daniel Lehman said, you know, Grant is alive because of you, because I was there. And when this was happening and my, my, his dad was amazing. It's like, we just all grouped together and made this thing happen. But if you've got someone in the hospital, you have to be there and you have to be on all the time because stuff happens during, you know, shift changes, et cetera, that, you know, isn't necessarily good. You know, I look at it now and had I not been at the top of my game going into that great energy, great health, and then continued to take care of myself like that in the hospital, one of my friends was like, gosh, you know, just relax, have a pizza. I go, this is not the time to to let those walls down. I mean, I the only hall pass I gave myself during that time was like, I can have as much there was a Starbucks across the street. I'm like, I can have as much Starbucks as I want. That's it. That's like my hall pass. But other than that, I was getting my, my eight hours of sleep every night. I was exercising and I was eating well and I really relied on friends. I asked for a ton of help because I knew that to get through what I had to get through, I had to have a massive energy and focus. And when your kid's in the ICU, you cannot get sick and visit. can't go in. So there was no like, you know, you can't catch a cold. You can't. You, can't. you have to be at the top of your game. From start to finish, you hear how much of that situation was in JJ's circle of concern. And yet, much like I alluded to earlier, she didn't concern herself with it. She focused on what she could control, some of which included asking the right questions, celebrating the small victories, exercise, eating, sleeping, taking care of herself so she didn't get sick. She focused on what she could control. And in a moment where perhaps her son wanted to give up, give in, he heard her voice. He took his focus off all the other negative thoughts and emotions that surely were there, and he chose to listen to his mom. Viktor Frankl wrote, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. A proactive person looks at issues through a lens of quality, not quantity. They understand that the only way they can truly be proactive is by focusing their efforts on what they can control. Oftentimes, people are discouraged from taking action 
because they already have the mindset of, it's not going to work, it will not make a difference. The missing piece is realizing or remembering that you do not know what new perspectives will come up once you make a small change. When you change that 1%, you're able to look at everything else with a new perspective and with new options. It changes the entire landscape. What do you have access to? What is the 1% that you can control or influence? For the sake of effectiveness, success, and your sanity, start there. Start with that and see what the view looks like when you are done. I want to thank Brendan Hufford for being such a great evangelist for the show and for his contribution to this episode. Check out his podcast, Entrepreneurs and Coffee. You can find it on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And a huge thanks to JJ Virgin. I found out a few months ago she was a fan of the show and she's been an incredible support to me and where there's smoke. I was so grateful that she took time out of her schedule to have a conversation with us. JJ can support you in everything from your health goals to focusing your energy to live your purpose. Find out more about her at jjvirgin.com. We're going to slate this right now. Yeah. You're going to give me that intro separately, uh, that top two paragraphs. Yeah. And then let's see what happens. We're just going to talk through this. Yeah. Either way, you have to explain it to me. But and we have time, but I don't want to waste a lot of time. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. So let's just go for right. it. I mean, we're just hanging out. You know. So okay, do. here we go. So I'm gonna I'm gonna set this up. So listeners, Brett has called me. We're gonna do some things right now. He's gonna talk us through it. So first things first. What is the 42 project? Okay. So the 42 project, which I have now dubbed this, is yes. uh, an idea that we're going to create 42 visual representations, okay? Illustrations, photos of moments or episodes of the show. Right? So okay. there's like people I follow on Instagram, like Dallas Clayton I love, uh, who like just people who create these cool illustrations about whatever, life, the universe, and everything, right? So I thought it'd be really cool. We're going to be launching our Instagram page soon. We share stuff on Facebook, on Twitter, that you know people out there, they can base it on a quote, an idea, a concept, anything the show's brought up for you. It can be in any form. So lettering, drawing, photos, painting, anything visual. If someone okay. wants to create a sculpture and take a picture, awesome, whatever that works. Awesome. So we've got people on board. How are they going to get in touch with us? Okay. So um, we've already yeah, we've already got five people on board from our meetup in Vancouver. If you're interested in creating something for the 42 project, just email us, connect at where there's smoke.co, and I'll send you details. Though, frankly, it's pretty simple. Just like make something you love that is, is inspired by the show and send it to us. So if you just want to go ahead and create it, you can do that too. Okay. And just know that we're going to then take these pieces and we're going to share them on Instagram, Tumblr, Facebook, Twitter. And we're going to promote the creators as well. So basically, oh, okay. the idea is we're going to further inspire people. We're going to promote you. We're going to expand the message of the show. It's going to be awesome. That's, that does sound nice. I like that last promotional bit. That makes more sense to me. Now, next on the list. Next on the list is the fact that... Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm reading it. Next on the list. Oh, you're reading it. Okay. I'm reading this. Sorry. Is that 
a few weeks ago, or maybe a month ago now, we did a call for international listeners. And we reached out to people in France, and Brett needed to give them a second chance. And they never came back. And now we've heard from nobody else in the world outside <laughs> we, of North America. We've basically been stood up by the entire world outside of North America. Yeah. What's So that's... <laughs> it's, it's weird. It's, it's weird because we have listeners. You're out there. We do. I mean, on top of Ghana, where we know we have great people, we have amazing people in Germany. We have awesome listeners in the UK. We have people in Australia, like people that I know are engaged with us. So it's crazy. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. So basically, is this a challenge or are we explaining to people that we are saddened by this? What are we doing? Okay. So we're saddened by it and we're just going to ask again, like, hey, we would love to hear from you, whether it's tweeting us at Brett Guider or at Podcast Monster, emailing us, whatever it is, just tell us, hey, this is where I live and it's not in North America. (laughs) (laughs) And I love the show and this is why or this is what it means to me or this is my favorite episode or or just tell us your favorite color. I don't care. I just want to hear from you. You know, I don't think that people realize the impact that like one message can bring. You know, so like last week we did the show on, what was the show on last week? It was on uh, Once Was Lost, our our music episode. Yeah, and we got just, we got some lovely messages and tweets from people who said some really nice things and it was so important to us. Now, granted, all those people were in North America. (laughs) (laughs) So what's, if you're from Down Under, there it was. (laughs) That was awesome. (laughs) <laughs> or if you're in Germany, I'm not going to try any other accent. If you're out in the world, just come say hi to us. Just go hi. Just that's it. That's, yeah, to say. that's it. That's it. Okay. So the last thing I want to do, Nick, is I just wanted to share some iTunes reviews. Let's do it. We, we, we always ones. do it in the credits. And I don't know how many people listen to the credits, which, by the way, are very entertaining. Of course. Um, so I just thought we'd share a few reviews. So Redhead Ken, which is kind of an awesome iTunes moniker, said, This is entertainment that gets you thinking about how you can, you can improve your life with positivity. The hosts seem like two dudes I could sit and talk with for hours. That seems accurate. So there's Tom Creeder. Yeah. Is that what that? Yeah. Yep. So he says, if you want your tomorrow to be better than your yesterday, get this podcast. I well, mean, who you. doesn't want their tomorrow to be better than their yesterday? That's true. But then also, Tom, thank you so much. That is, that is, um, uh, that's a great, it's a great tag. It's we really cool. We should start using that. All right. So check this one out, Nick. So I'm going to read the title of the review. The title of the review was, this thing really doesn't want me to leave a review, but I'm determined. Now, I want you to read what her iTunes name is. Kate McKay, stop rejecting my name. <laughs> so, so I, I obviously, the whole story she tried there. to put in several monikers. They kept rejecting it, but she was adamant about yes. leaving us a review, which is awesome. And she wrote a lot of stuff, including these words. She said, I bring up the podcast or its content consistently. Well done on such a great show. Well, thanks you. Thank you, Kate. And thank you for fighting through iTunes. Don't tell Apple this, but iTunes is kind of terrible. Moving on. Uh, all right. So we got this review from Miss Rogue. Title is, This Podcast is Freaking Inspiring. And so she wrote, I like this. Seriously, every episode I listen to, I get smarter and more inspired. So we want, of course, the reviews to keep coming. I know we say this all the time, but one review is enormously helpful in the iTunes algorithm. So just, I know we kind of let it go for a few weeks, but if you haven't left a review yet, please do so. Yeah, and anything, any other feedback fills us up, man. So just, you know, reach out to us and um, stay connected. And if you're outside of North America. (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) 
reach out. I, I'll do my Australian accent every week until I hear <laughs> until we hear from, from somebody. You. I'll just hold this podcast hostage <laughs> if I have to. All right. Well, this is fun, Nick. I like this. I thought we'd just hang out a little bit here and, and chat to our audience. So thanks for taking a few minutes. If you hated this, tell us. And then, <laughs> especially if you don't live in North America, there it is. We did it. We did it. We did it, everybody. <laughs> oh my god. All right. So well, you're going to have to edit that magic, but that was magic. Somewhere, yeah, somewhere in there. A few things to highlight. I want to say rest in peace to Conrad, a.k.a. hashtag dead raccoon T.O. You're my boy, Conrad. You're my boy, Blue. I want to highly encourage you to check out episode 74 of the Excellence Expected podcast. It's an interview with me talking business, and I think it's one of the best ones I've ever done, especially if you are a small business owner or a middle manager curious about the new realities of retaining great people and how to build a culture of leadership. Check it out. Again, the Excellence Expected podcast, episode 74. Shout outs to a few first time tweeters about the show. Casey Lyons, Alyssa Grieve, and Jai Kumar. Jai also sent us a very moving email about our Once Was Lost show, which left me with little more to say than wow, and little more to feel than humbled and honored. And to everyone else who shared their passion for the show this week, to us directly or with others on social media, email, text, word of mouth, thank you so much. You are serving others in a big way. Please connect with us on Twitter, at Brett Gaida and at Podcast Monster, and join our Facebook fan page, facebook.com forward slash WTS pod. Stay in the loop on all things Where There's Smoke by joining our mailing list. On your phone, you can text the word SMOKE to 66866 or go to our website, www.wherethere'ssmoke.co. While you're on the site, you can link to show notes, which include a list of all the clips used in this show. Where There's Smoke is pro-activated, influenced, controlled, climbed, wrestled, released, written, edited, and loved by me, Brett Gaida, and Nick Jaworski. Check out Nick at podcastmonster.com. His company helps make people's podcasts sound awesome. And I help people make events and teams awesome through keynotes, trainings, and consulting. If you're interested in having me come out, send an email to connect at wherethersmoke.co. Our theme song was written and performed by Des McKinney. Music in this show was performed by Kevin McLeod, Satellite Ensemble, Broke for Free, Jazar, and Madaka Agatani. And finally... I give a hat tip to Paul Rudd from Role Models for our clip of the week, saying what surely so many of us think about the death of small, medium, and large coffees, though none of us should let it suck the joy of life out of us. You know, man, the sun is shining, but you have lost the ability to take any joy in life. I I can't stand it anymore. You're just a miserable dick now. You're mean to everybody. And FYI, it's called a venti because it's 20 ounces. 20! Venti! So true. Thank you for listening. We love you. We'll see you next week.